For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome, everybody. Welcome back to Mav Sports Take Episode 8. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Mav Sports Take over the last few weeks, our first few episodes. been very excited. If you have not seen the episode from last week, you missed an awesome conversation with Mr. Danny Godlewski, who is a Miami, Ohio center who has chosen to opt out of his senior campaign, enter the 2021 NFL Draft. We also had Brad Kaplan, former director of college scouting, on to discuss the state of football and his new venture with Athletes Launch. Myself, Ryan Roberts, and of course, Mr. David Turner, here for you all, bringing you unfiltered, unmuzzled sports conversation all night. Ryan Roberts, Director of Scouting at NFL Draft Bible, NFL Draft Writer for the Fantasy Draft Room, host of Baldi's Breakdown, scouting seminars every third Wednesday, 9 Eastern Time, and Friday Night Scout School every Friday 9 o'clock Eastern as well, for a part of the NFL Draft Bible experience. Bringing you, of course, my partner in this podcast, Mav Sports Take, Friday Night Scout School. The, a, a person that has given me such a glimpse into the scouting world that I never knew about. It's been a valuable resource for me. Mr. David Turner, former professional scout for the Miami Dolphins, Oakland Raiders, Carolina Panthers, New York Giants, and San Francisco 49ers, a part of three straight Arena League titles with Arizona Rattlers as the Director of Pro Personnel and Direct Assistant General Manager. A brief stop with the Edmonton Eskimos as well on David Resume. He is now the owner-president of Maverick Sports Consulting, as well as Director of Player Personnel with the ANC Combines, and my partner in crime, of course, tonight and Friday nights at Friday Night Scout School, Mr. David Turner. How are we doing tonight, my friend? I'm doing well. Every time you give me that intro, it's just like, wow, <laughs> you know, seeing my resume on paper is, and you make it just sound like I'm important. So I appreciate it every time, but I'm doing well tonight. I'm excited. We got a great show. I mean, we got some incredible things to talk about. So much movement in, in, uh, the NFL with the cutdowns and the strategies going into the broster, you know, accommodations and, and outlooks and all that. I'm just so excited to jump into it. And let's not forget about our guest. I mean, geez, does it get bigger than this? I mean, for like our fifth episode ever, it's like, here we go. Another first, another big time name. I'll let you take it because I want to hear you introduce them. Absolutely. And as David said, we're definitely going to get to some NFL rosters, the cuts, the trades, practice squad, mailbag, of course, at the end. If you're following along here at Ryzen Draft. Uh, we are streaming live here, taking some live questions. As always, we are recording here again Tuesday night, 8.30 Eastern Time. Podcast is released at 3 p.m. Eastern Time as well, 12 Central Time on Wednesdays if you're not catching it live there. 
Uh, topic one, though, that we want to start, we have been bringing in these awesome guests each and every week. I have one that I am just, I, I can't tell you how excited I am to bring on Mr. Armani Edwards, who is former Appalachian State quarterback. I wanted to bring him on because last week was the 13th anniversary of Appalachian State's upset victory, 34-32 over the University of Michigan in the big house. Armani, in his Appalachian State career, over 15,000 total yards, 139 touchdowns. Walter Payton, award winner twice during the 2008-2009 season, third, third round selection by the Carolina Panthers where he spent four years in the NFL now he's been uh, at, on over at the CFL where he's been a really accomplished wide receiver, over 1,000 yards, 69 receptions, seven touchdowns during the 2019 season with the Toronto Argonauts. So we're bringing on here Mr. Armani Edwards. Armani, this is a special one for me, man. We truly do appreciate you taking some time with us tonight. Uh, no problem. No problem. Thanks for having me on. Uh, absolutely, man. And I need to paint this picture for you, Armani. Big college football fan. I must say, though, I'm about as big a Notre Dame fan as you'll possibly see in this world. And as a Notre Dame fan, I detest the University of Michigan. So one of my fondest memories, 15 years old, man, 34-32. Of course, Corey Lynch has that that um, game-saving blocked kick. But I just remember Armani Edwards giving the Wolverines a ton of headaches all day. Obviously, the team with that huge upset in the big house. As you reflect on that anniversary now that it's 13 years in the making, what are just some of your favorite moments from that day and beating those those Wolverines in the big house over there? And uh, One of the best moments just hearing how silent the stadium was. You know, <laughs> uh, we were we, we prepared for to play Michigan all, all summer long, all offseason. Um, obviously, they're our first game and one of our biggest games of the season. And Throughout practice, training camps, we just prepare with loud music and just to go in that game and, you know, not get um, that loudness as we expected because we got off to a great start. That's that's one of the biggest uh, moments that I can remember. And Armani, I know it's it's something for me, right? Like every moment of that game was super exciting. Obviously, a little bit of a back and forth game in, in Michigan, obviously, you know, being the overwhelming favorite for you, what was that moment like? Because you talked about the excitement, obviously, of the victory. But that moment that Corey Lynch blocked that field goal and the upset was in hands, what was that singular moment like during the stretch of that game? Hey, it was relief and excitement all at once. You know, I, I played with the, with the banged-up shoulder, so throughout the entire game, um, I'm running off adrenaline. So it was just relieved that the game was over and excited that, you know, we – we pulled off a, a huge win at that time, not knowing it was, you know, we'll still be talking about it decades later. Omari, let me, let me ask you this question. You know, you have a very unique perspective with your career playing in the NFL, playing in the CFL, playing college football. Right now, with so much happening across the college football landscape, what do you see the end goal for players being? I mean, and, I, and I'm asking in a sense of, you know, with the – players pushing to be paid with the the club with the different or universities right now you know going back to play and pushing players through on the field but yet players aren't or students aren't allowed on the campus where where do you think an end goal is for players in in this day and age 
it has to be some sort of compensation. Um, I truly um, feel that I can be biased, but, you know, just being one of those uh, student athletes and knowing the struggles of going through that, it, it, it's tough. People don't realize it. Um, a lot of people that are not student athletes, all they think about is the free education part, but they don't think about, you know, the, the, eight, the, the eight to ten hours that we're putting into just that sport on top of, you know, getting your classwork done. And we're not able to have a have a job, you know, during that time uh, while we're playing. So it's really tough on the student athlete and it has to be some sort of uh, compensation that, that, that comes um especially to the scholarship players. Obviously, you know, when you uh, have a big school, you have 100-plus people uh, on the team, it, it's not going to come down to everybody. But at some point, uh, players, um, I truly believe players should be getting paid in college. With that being said, what do you think a goal would be for, or fairness would be to to distribute the money to the players? Is it starters get so much Backups get so much, um, you know, some or not, you know, non-scholarship players get something because, again, they're putting in the same work. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, or is it or is it uh, do you have a different view on it? I don't know. I mean, you have a unique perspective. I haven't haven't went that much in depth, but, you know, obviously with all the money that, that schools are making and the NCAA is making just all football and basketball alone, there there is. <laughs> there's a lot uh, to go around to pay players and that's not we're not asking for a lot it's not like you need to pay somebody um, a nice living while they're in school but it has to be something to where they're comfortably being able to to pay their rent and eat comfortably and not having to worry about hey if I'm gonna make do I have enough money to to get a meal on the weekend when you know, the cafeteria is closed and stuff like that. Stuff like that, uh, as a student athlete, you shouldn't have to worry about. With the pandemic going on right now and, you know, the health issues that we're seeing spike up with, you know, again, we know the the likelihood of younger men and women um passing from these uh from this COVID nineteen is is less likely, but we are seeing secondary diseases pop up with the heart and lungs. What what's your feeling on having big time college football back playing and putting on the field? I mean this past weekend we had a few games and this coming up weekend we got more games coming up. What what as a player, what I really would love to hear your take on, you know, if you were in school, how would you be feeling about playing? That's a, that's a very tough uh, situation for a young athlete, especially one that's um, expiring to continue their career as a professional. And, you know, not having the, the film and the opportunity to play this year because of what's going on, it puts players, student athletes in, in tough positions. So that's two answers for me. I'm pretty sure my younger self would get get out there on the field, naive, uh, just wanting to play and, and forgetting all the, the real stuff that's happening around. But myself today, I'm definitely not touching the field until this is 100 uh, percent done with. And that's a great perspective, too, Armani, because obviously you're a guy that's been in the NFL. It's been in the CFL. So you've been kind of through all avenues and all different perspectives Right now, you know, David spoke about the challenges for college athletes. What has the challenge been for you as a CFL athlete trying to navigate this tough situation as well? Just got to 
it's been tough. Got to stay in tip top shape, um, especially at my age. I'm, I'm one of the old guys now in, in football. So just staying in tip top shape and, you know, uh, being ready for, for next year. Um, that's, that's been the tough part, um, for me personally, um, not having, you know, a season this year. How often are you getting on, how often are you getting on the field running routes and stuff to, to stay, you know, in somewhat ready, just, just to keep that shape going. So you don't have to start over. You can stay ready, not get ready. Uh, it, it hasn't been often. Um, not as often as I wanted it. Um, I, it was at the beginning, but once, you know, the season kept getting pushed back and more stuff around my area kept getting shut down, it, it kind of became difficult to find, you know, a, a place to, to get my running in. So it's been a, been a curse and a blessing for me. Uh, for me, I can 100% heal my body. But at the same time, you know, um, I'm going to have to kick it back up and turn it up a notch once, once that um, time comes. And Armani, I know you uh, – I think you recently signed a contract with the Edmonton Eskimos as your next stop in the CFL. Uh, looking back, obviously, over the last couple of years, you've been had some high success as a wide receiver. As you're moving forward now and, and having that season canceled – on a personal level now, what, what does Armani Edwards do to pass his time? What's the family life looking like? What do you do just kind of outside of the football spectrum and just as a regular person type of thing? Uh, it, it gave me uh, more time to spend with my family for one. So every, everything I'm doing, I'm doing it uh, with my wife and kids. And also during this time, you know, um, we just have to, we have to start looking at stuff outside of football. Um, my career is coming to an end, whether I want it to or not. You know that's just how how things work. And during this time, we've been um, we've been learning and also now teaching others um, how to invest in uh, crypto and forex. So that's what we've been doing this year. And Armani, I, I'm interested in, in this take because obviously you were a um, a great quarterback at the college level as an African-American. And we are seeing a rise now, which I am just absolutely loving with guys like Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson and, and Russell Wilson and Deshaun Watson. So many great players at, this, at, this, at the um, quarterback position, black African-Americans. For you, what has that been like to see the evolution and to finally see the, the players get that opportunity, which wasn't regularly afforded to them in the past? Uh, it's been great. You know, it's been great. You know, uh, just speaking on something personal, unfortunately, uh, it happened after my time, but I'm, I'm happy to see, you know, other people that look like me that, that are finally getting getting that shot in, in the praise that they deserve at that position. And I just look forward to, to more quarterbacks after Mahomes and, and the rest of them to uh, keep coming along. How do you feel the um... – <clears throat> college sports and professional sports are handling the social injustices that we are facing these days. And where do you see um, the leadership of these teams going in order to keep this in the forefront of the conversation and not get it overlooked in, uh, in the coming months? Um, I think it's just uh, my personal opinion. I think when sports is, is, being televised and played, then that's overlooking, you know, everything that's going on in the real world. So uh, me personally, I don't like um, how it's been handled. Um, obviously, they're, they're trying to make steps to make it better. But, you know, going all the way back to when Kaepernick started, 
um, the kneeling process and everybody ignored, you know, his reasoning for kneeling and just blatantly say he's disrespecting the flag and not not listening to why he was kneeling in the first place. But, you know, um, judging uh, going off of that from two, three years ago, it's coming a long way. But obviously, you know, once sports starts back up, as it has now, it kind of put, you know, what's going on um, with the injustices again back on the back burner. Will you, if the Edmonton Eskimos and, you know, I was just there, so you would have came up and played for us when I was there. Uh, would you be on the field doing a similar protest during the games if you were playing during this time? Uh, probably, more than likely. Um, I know um, they've discussed it, the, our team as a whole, and they was open to, you know, hearing, uh, having that dialogue to, to see what they can do um, as an organization uh, to, to help um, – the communities and everything. So um, I like hearing um, stuff like that from organizations um, when stuff like this happens. And a variety of perspectives here from Mr. Armani Edwards, a great Appalachian State quarterback, now CFL star wide receiver. Armani, I'm, I'm so happy, man. Again, you know, the 13-year anniversary getting to spend with the guy that made my childhood even a little bit better for one Saturday. So, man, appreciate you so much for taking some time today with us. Hope to have you back on again next year when it's the 14th. And I don't know, we'll have to have like a party or something when it's the 15th anniversary or something, all right? Uh, no problem. Thank you for having me again. Oh, Thanks awesome, very man. much for coming on. Good talking with you. All right, nice talking to you guys, too. Right, and a absolutely wonderful conversation there. Being joined Mr. Armani Edwards again. Uh, multiple perspectives. Obviously, we got the, the great upset victory over Michigan. We got into a little bit of professional football, college football, the evolution of the African-American quarterback. Uh, just incredible stuff, honestly. And we appreciate you tuning in to Mav Sports Take tonight. If you like what you hear please consider signing up for our Friday night scout school season pass. David and I teach a weekly class on how to view football through a scouting eye. This coming week is cornerback. We will break down three of today's top NFL cornerbacks, including Darius Slay, Jalen Ramsey, among others, and discover why they were so highly uh, thought of coming out of college. Friday night scout school is your pathway to understanding football at a higher level from every perspective, whether that is as a general football fan, a, 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 um, a scout in the making, an agent, a player, whatever it is, we have you covered on Friday night scout school, 9 o'clock Eastern time, every Friday night. David, general thoughts there, man. I, you threw a lot at him. We both threw a lot at him, and he had some incredible answers. It was really refreshing just to hear another uh, a player's perspective for a change here. Well, what's been great is, you know, if we, you look at our guest lineup we've had. We've had a college director of scouting. We've had Tom Pellicero, a, you know, an expert in reporting on the NFL level. You know, we've had Danny, who's a, who was a player who opted out, right? Then we also had uh, Brad Kaplan, who used to be a, a, a director of college scouting. And now we had our first active player, right? Now he's an answer of a question. He's another trivia question, right? Who was the first active player they had? Well, you know, Amari, Amari, Mr. Edwards, because, you know, I screw up names all the time. Mr. Edwards really brought a great perspective of, you know, how he saw the pandemic. And I really appreciated him saying, as a younger man in college, 
I would probably go out there and push my body. But as an older man now that has to think about the end of my career, has a family, a wife to think about, he's definitely not step, stepping on the field until it's kind of all sorted out. It showed the progression of the of a professional ad- attitude, you know, from a young man just with that testicle, I'm fortitude, I'm going out there and going to just go do it, I'm invincible, to... I really got to think about this. How is this going to affect my family, my ability to provide for him and all that? And then you take, and then, you know, his, his answer on the social injustice and how he appreciated where we've gotten to, but yet we're not far enough yet, as well as, you know, playing for Edmonton and how that organization was going to allow or talk, open the conversation up of how they wanted to handle any kind of protests or things up there to continue to bring the awareness. And what I really appreciated, as you know, as a man who said it many times, I don't feel sports should be playing right now. There's other things we need to be talking about. And he shared that view, which I didn't know he had before we got on the air, that he said as an athlete, you know, when sports start playing, we start getting distracted from the different things that are going on in the world and we're not putting enough attention on them, which to me was like, wow, as an athlete and a man who makes his living playing a sport to really say, hey, we shouldn't be playing right now with the pandemic, social injustice, everything else we have going on in our world right now. We need to put the time and effort into it. I really appreciated those answers from tonight and his candor. You know, a lot of people wouldn't be as honest as he was. They play the political game a little bit, but he came on here, went unmuzzled, and, he, you know, he just said how he felt and how he put it out there, and I appreciated that as I do when we have all our guests on and do that. And I love the word again. We always go back to unmuzzled. That is the, obviously the word of the podcast, most definitely. I also like, David, just to add to that, like not only has he played in the NFL, he's played in the CFL. He has those multiple perspectives. The thought that he thinks that we shouldn't play football right now, being a player that season is already canceled and is technically out of work, I think that speaks volumes to how much that decision means. Because despite him not making that salary right now and being unemployed, he still thinks that the social injustices that are happening, understanding those and actually you know, taking proper steps is more important, and the pandemic included, is more important than just playing football right now, which you kind of you kind of just spoke about a little bit. And I think that really just says volumes from a bunch of different perspectives there. No, I agree with you. And it, it takes a very mature young man to, to, again, come on a podcast and and have those candid conversations that he, he afforded us tonight. So I applaud him for that. I applaud him for his stance and what he's doing and how he's approaching taking care of his family and everything. Very smart, very mature young man. Can't wait to have him back on again and talk some more with him. Absolutely. And and like David said, he's a part of the trivia question. Our first Appalachian State player, our first CFL player. I just saw David showing his bling from the CFL on his finger. You guys can't see it unless you're live with us. But uh, got a lot of CFL flavor on tonight. Moving in to some NFL topics. So cuts, right? We just saw rosters getting trimmed down uh, to opening day rosters surprising ones to say the least. There were a lot that were kind of digesting. I wanted to open this conversation here to just some of our most surprising, some other topics as well. So David, when I say most surprising NFL cut that you've seen over the last few days, who was the one player or maybe two players that stood out for you? You know, uh, as we talked 
pre-production about it a little bit, and I was I was sitting thinking about it. You know, Adrian Peterson and and Leonard Fournette are the top two for me. You know, because those were two teams that these I thought these two were going to contribute hardcore to. And with guys getting let go from the Washington football team, I really thought Peterson was going to be somebody that Ron Rivera leaned on for leadership in his locker room, as well as, you know, for, you know, t- guiding the young crew of other running backs and, and in that locker room. You know, obviously they had to make the decision. And, you know, again, you can't pay everybody in a capped era, but it did surprise me a lot that Adrian got let go. And then, you know, again, in Jacksonville, holy smokes. I mean, this is a team that's just completely unraveled from a few years ago. We've talked about it before, but Fournette was, again, one weapon you had. And, you know, it's just like, what are you guys doing down there? I I ran the numbers on Jacksonville really quick just because I was curious about it. You know, you got 18 rookies on this team on the active roster and then you have another nine rookies on their practice squad. So right there, that's 27 in the locker room. But you can take it even further. They have 35 members of their team that are under three years of experience in the NFL. 35 out of the 65 guys on their team. And the, the most veteran players are guys like... Bruce Miller, a fullback, Andrew Norton or Andrew Norwell, uh, offensive lineman, Mike Glennon, who's on the practice squad. He's a quarterback, but he's on the practice squad. He's got seven years of experience. So, I mean, you're looking at guys with, you know, seven, six years experience being the leaders in this locker room, which they're still pretty young themselves. Think about these guys were 22 when they came in the league. So you have a locker room now that is under 30 across the board they don't have i don't believe a single player above 30 years old in their locker room so for them to let a guy who's as talented running back like fournette out of there and send them packing and they owed him money from what i understand too it's like wow what are you guys really doing over there and i i think for those two specifically like adrian peterson one for me like i did not understand that one at all like obviously he's not a part of your long-term future he's not what he was but he was still a pretty decent running back last year and he's on the cheap and Darius Geis with with that whole situation him not being on the roster anymore Adrian Peterson just seemed kind of like a calming force to a degree now you got guys like JD McKissick and uh the the rookie from uh Memphis uh Antonio Gibson taking over now as the as the running back it's a really awkward situation. I don't really understand the move there from the Washington football team's perspective. It's not like you have a stud in the waiting and Adrian Peterson was just clinging on for, for dear life. You know, like he is the best presence in that locker room. And then you hit on one, man. Leonard Fournette obviously has been pretty vocal about not being happy. Yannick Ngakwe was very vocal about not being happy in, in Jacksonville. Um who else? Jalen Ramsey was not very happy with being in Jacksonville. So all those guys have kind of, you know, reemphasized after they have left that they did not enjoy their time on the Jaguars. They wanted to get out of there. And, you know, that really speaks volumes, obviously, to what the management's doing. And then you talk about that, David, right? Like going so rookie heavy. Then they go and they trade Ronnie Harrison, their starting safety, who's going into his third year, who's a dirt cheap rookie, who's a good safety. And, you know, he's like 24 years old and now you're trading young assets as well. So I'm just trying to like get my mind around what Jacksonville is doing because on top of everything, you know, it seems like they're in a, uh, obviously in a rebuild. 
maybe tanking for Trevor Lawrence, talking about that at some point, I'm sure this offseason uh, more. But talking about a few years ago when this team was in the AFC Championship game with those guys I just mentioned as their young guns, their young core, David, I don't want to put you too much on the spot here, man, but what is going on in Jacksonville? What is this movement that they're doing? Does it make any sense for you? You know, I got to compare them to another young team that I like, that I think is doing things in the right way, okay? Take take what Jacksonville's doing, what I just said, all those numbers, right? About, uh, if I got the numbers here right, about 47 players under three years of experience on about a 70-man roster right now with that locker room. Not a single player, from what I understand my research, over 30 years old. Everybody's 29 and lower. And then you go and you look at the Vikings, the Vikings, who had more draft picks this year and took more draft picks than any other team, who signed more undrafted free agents than any other team, on their 53-man roster, they only have 10 rookies. They put the other 11 on their practice squad. So that gives them 21 young players in their roster, in their hen house, building and, and working with, right? But they have 24 players with three years or above experience and if you look at that experience they do have a few guys that are in their 30s they have guys that are like you know you know again been in nine ten years so you got that veteran leadership in there um so again when you got a young team you're trying to build the right way you still got to have the veterans in the locker room to guide these young guys and the ones that jacksonville's picked mike glennon has been a journeyman quarterback he hasn't won anywhere or doing anything, so he can't say, here's the winning recipe. I've seen it work. This is what to do to win, guys. Andrew Norwell, or, yeah, Andrew uh, Norwell, who I love, he was on Carolina, was an undrafted rookie who built himself into a very high paycheck player. He's great. He's a, he's a great scrapper, great guy. He's not really good in technician. He's a puncher. He's a guy who's going to you know, win with a lot of toughness, not a lot of technique. And again, like, what are you teaching? What do you got going in this locker room? Where's your leadership from it? Look at the other numbers. New England, okay? New England, the Patriots, they have no kicker. This is interesting, right? We're going to talk about this. No kicker on their on their active roster, but they got two on their practice squad. One of them, I believe, is Nick Folt, and he's got 11 years experience. So you anticipate he'll be activated at some point this week. To move up for you know and get his game check and all that stuff. But they they have right now just eight rookies on their 53-man roster, and they have over 18 players with five or more ex- years of experience. And they had, I think, the most opt-outs of players on their roster coming into training camp with like eight guys opting out, not playing for them. So you got a guy in New England who leaned on experience brought in veterans that he can he can say hey they know the game they know the drill they've been through an active nfl season and he kept minimal rookies to develop so when he goes back to the wheelhouse it practice squad all over he doesn't have rookies he's got guys with one two three years of experience on his on his roster so he can pull from that well experienced players at least players that have been through the war a little bit and know where they're going. But again, 18 players on a 53-man roster that have five or more years experience after he had eight years of opting out. It's very interesting how he tinkered with that and where he chose to spend his money and all that. 
this season and cutting his roster. I mean, he's the ultimate chess player, right? We call him the ultimate, uh, you know, schemer. And I think he schemed himself a really good roster coming out of training camp there in New England. And that's an interesting team that I actually kind of want to stick with here for a second because you mentioned the two kickers on the practice squad, no kickers on the active roster. Obviously, with the practice squad rules getting a little uh, uh, getting changed this offseason, right? Increasing it to 16, and then with the um, the parameters on experience uh, kind of thrown out the door a little bit there. David, maybe you can enlighten me on this because I actually don't know the answer to this. So they have two kickers on the practice squad. They could, in theory, like you said, bring up Nick Folk. Is that something with these new rules or just has been in place where they could conceivably maybe rotate those kickers from the practice squad to the active roster? Or is there a certain point where if a guy's on the active roster, he has to stay for a certain amount of time? Do you know any of those parameters? When you're activating from your own practice squad, okay, mm-hmm. you bring them up and you can bring them up and down, okay? So you can release it. You can bring them up. Guy can earn his game check and then you can release him. He goes, he clears waivers, whatever, sign him back to a practice squad roster. You can go up and down with them, which again, ultimately almost gives you a 54th man kind of 54 man roster when you're going up and down with people because on this year's uh, parameters, before you used to activate a practice squad player like 48 hours prior to a game. Now you get to activate them up to like three hours prior to the game. So therefore your final roster game day roster isn't being set till game day, which again, you were all, you used to always just worry about who were the in and outs as far as, you know, who was going to play and who was sitting now as an opponent, you don't know who's going to play until game day. Like people can tinker with the roster all the way up until game day and activate these guys off practice squad and bring them up. So again, knowing the rules and playing within the rules, but playing better than everybody else, you have to respect what Bilicek's doing. Again, on his practice squad, he only has, as I'm looking at it, like six, maybe seven rookies. Everybody else, like I said, of you know, he's got a guy like Xavier Williams, a nose tackle, five years in the league. He's got guys like D'Angelo Ross, a cornerback, Who's two years in the league? He's got, you know, guys that uh was it Toshan Bauer, a linebacker who has three years in the league. He saved some veterans onto the practice roster, but he also inlaid his whole roster with veterans because he wanted people that had been through the war. So yeah, you can tinker with these young players all you want and bring them up and down if you need to. But at the end of the day, he packed his roster with a bunch of vets. And we see other clubs like this. Um, You know, the Ravens only have nine rookies. Tennessee only has six rookies on their 53. Oakland only has five rookies on their 53. Um, And the Bills, if I did my my numbers right, they only have four rookies on their practice squad. They went really veteran heavy or at least experience heavy on their practice roster to make sure that when they get injuries – they can pull with people that have been through the wars. Let's do the numbers really quick, Ryan. You have normally in preseason most of the uh, of injuries, right? When you have preseason games, you'll have anywhere from three to seven guys miss, you know, season engine injuries. So let's just say every roster had three guys with season ending injuries in preseason. Okay, with 32 teams, that's 
a quick, you know, hundred players, right? So you got a hundred players. We didn't have those preseason games, so those injuries didn't happen. So now, where when these teams do have injuries, they do have COVID pop up. Where are they shopping for the next round of players? Because they had, they brought less to camp. They brought they, they, the players, like you heard Mr. Edwards talk about tonight, say, you know, places around him have been shut down. Where do they work out? What do they do? That's an issue. So where are they going to get these in-shape players? If we go into the first four to five weeks of the NFL season and we drop a 100 players, where are we going to find these players? Well, Belichick just said, I'm going to do it on my own roster. I'm going to keep the veterans – I'm going to keep veterans on my on my practice roster, and the Bills did the same thing, and the and so are the Raiders. They're going veterans. I had that question before cuts: who was going young, who was going old, who was trying to win now, who was building for the future? Jacksonville's building for something we don't know yet. That's a kind of a mystery. Is it a football team or is it a, you know a European rugby team? We're still working on that. But the rest of them, you know, you're seeing these players or these organizations that were in the hunt. Keep very strong, experienced players because they want to finish it out. And talking about injuries, breaking news that I just saw pop up on Twitter. I don't know if you saw it, but it's saying, and I don't know if this is confirmed, but it's saying TSN said Von Miller reportedly injured an ankle tendon in practice, will need season-ending surgery. So that lower body injury we saw reported on earlier could be season-ending for Vaughn Miller. That's one of these type injuries we can expect in the next four to six weeks that we take on this this new NFL season where no one played live reps in preseason. And it, the, another team, the 49ers, is another roster that is doing that with their practice squad. They have guys like Deion Jordan, Kevin White, Jonathan Cyprian, who have been around – the Eagles, the Philadelphia Eagles, a team about 15 minutes from me. Josh McCown, emergency quarterback, emergency plan. He gets to stay in his, in his, uh, in his home in Texas, make $12,000 a week. I need to figure out how to get on that plan. But obviously, some people are very utilizing this for the near future, emergency plans. The other way, though, David, because usually, you know, when I'm growing up, right, and I'm learning about what the practice squad is, and even now, right, like that's kind of like the developmental area for younger guys to really, uh, you know, take shape behind uh, behind veterans and learn the game, and then hopefully next year you're making the active roster. Like it's kind of like a pipeline of sorts. Conversely, how detrimental is that to the long term of the success? Other than, you know, obviously you talked about the short term being able to replace through almost like a farm system type of thing. But how, how much is that going to hurt you in the long-term aspects of everything? Well, again, as I said on last week's podcast, the development of uh, NFL football players is down by two years. We're two years behind now. And the reason I say it is because the players that got selected or signed in this year's draft process did not get OTAs, did not get a real – training camp experience because there's no preseason game so you know guys like Eckler that you know made San Diego on that fourth preseason game and now he's our starting running back and all you know he we didn't get any of those emerging in in preseason so now the coaches are trying to win now and get get it now you know get it done now versus developing young players I don't think the practice rosters are gonna get enough reps in the current situation, how it's all lined up for um, 
practice schedules and everything because they're not going a lot of live reps. They're going to just be reading cards, moving through the motion, staying in shape versus being a team that can uh, show up and, and be ready to play. It's going to be very hard with the restrictions of practice to develop young players on, on top of all the COVID policies and everything else. So I really think we're two years behind. I think the long-term effect on what happened this offseason and even as we're seeing college football being canceled those players aren't getting reps either and we saw kevin colbert today uh give a statement that you know in the 2021 draft he is more likely with the pittsburgh steelers if he's still there because he still needs a contract extension but if he's still there he's more likely to take a player that played in 2020 versus a player that didn't but again, if you talk about a players who played in 2020 and let's say they got COVID and they developed a heart condition or they developed some kind of lung condition, you've said it before. What if they don't pass an NFL physical and entrance physical and the player that didn't play and stayed home and, you know, stayed safe, he passed all the physicals. How can you now, how can you take the player who played when he can't pass a physical? And, you know, there's some other sad news. I think we just got too that there was a, a player, um, and again, this is unconfirmed. We just heard about it. Um, Jermaine Stevens Jr. passed away of COVID um, complications. He was a Pennsylvania senior, uh, or I'm sorry, California University of Penn senior defensive tackle. The report's coming across Twitter right now. 6'3", 355 pounds. He was only 20 years old. So for all the people that think they're invincible and can play through it, here's a 20-year-old 20, 20 man who was, you know, playing um, and, you know, was a – his dad was a first-round pick for the Steelers. And, you know, you, he grew up in a family that obviously probably had some means and did some, you know, had some stuff to uh, look forward to with this young man. And, and on Twitter, it's coming across that he passed away. So, you know, it's hard to say, yeah, go play, kid, in 2020 and – and you know we'll we'll draft you. You're more likely to be drafted. But if you get COVID, there, you know it's just an X factor. Nobody knows all the answers for yet. Yeah, yeah. It's a really it it just stinks so much with how the draft process ended with for a lot of guys to have this uncertainty again because half of me, well, not almost half of me, the 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 man right, the person in me applauds guys like Micah Parsons and other players, Gregory Rousseau's that are looking out for their best interest in, you know, we talked about it, right? Like college athletes should be compensated. Like if one of these guys gets hurt and and I'm sure there's some insurance policies that they, that they've taken out on themselves possibly as far as NFL draft wise and all that good stuff. But like, there's just so much uncertainty that I don't blame them for not playing. And now we're seeing reports that, Hey, maybe that will affect their draft slot. It could affect them. Obviously, those those high ranking guys, right? Like those assumed high first round caliber players. I would I would ha- find it hard to believe that it would dock them down to a point where they'd be losing out on a ton of money. But we're it's so much uncertainty, and, and we, we've seen guys you know with high profiles not really last to the degree or have the have the uh, success that they may have been pictured early on. And one guy that I think really fits that, and this is a perfect segue, David. You're going to love this segue is a guy that has not had the success that many people maybe anticipated. Josh Rosen now over to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers practice squad uh, after being released by Miami, after being traded 
for a second round pick in last year's draft during the draft, which I'm sure Miami, this was not, not calculated. This was not ideal, but they lose out on Josh Rosen. Well, I don't want to say lose out. They chose to, to get rid of Josh Rosen. Now he's on Tampa Bay. Looks like a good fit for him for a guy that in five years has had eight offensive coordinators. He hasn't had anything, no semblance of consistency throughout his career dating back to his college days. Your thoughts real quick, David, just on the Josh Rosen situation. For me, like, obviously things have not gone his way, but from the outside perspective, Tampa Bay with Bruce Arians, but sitting behind Tom Brady maybe for a year or two, seems like an ideal destination for a young quarterback. I think if, you know, I haven't talked to Josh, but if I did, and I'm going to get in his mindset a little bit, like you said, with eight OCs in five years, you 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 want to land somewhere where you got stability. I mean, you, you got drafted in the first round by a club that the following year drafted another quarterback and kicked you out. And then you go down to Miami and they draft another first round quarterback and kick you out. So there's no stability for this young man, and everybody can jump on the Rosen train and you know beat him up all they want. That's the easy train. But let's look at this. I mean, this is a young man that's tried to learn a different offense, eight different offenses in five years, no stability. But you go to Tampa Bay, you know Brady's a one, two-year-and-done kind of guy. You got a, his former offensive coordinator that was in Arizona, Byron Leftwich there who knows him and has coached him and, you know, obviously has probably talked to Bruce about him and Bruce talked to, you know, Byron about him and said, hey, should we try to bring this guy in? And is he going to be a cancer to the locker room? Is he going to be a problem or issue? Byron gives him the vote of confidence. No, I'd love to teach him, bring him in and put him in our offense and show you what he can do, Bruce. You know, so that's a that's a conversation. I'm sure it happened. I'm actually pretty happy for the young man you know, that he landed somewhere that might be stable for him. And we can really see what he turns into. You know, if he turns into a good player, a solid backup, or even a starter one day, great for him. That's a great rebound, you know. If he doesn't, hey, guess what? It's on the cheap for Tampa Bay because as a rookie contract first-round pick, his contract gave him so much, you know, money as guaranteed money that he's living on that, the 12000 he's making a week right now. I don't even know if he's making 12000 He's probably still making six. I don't know where his status is for that twelve to 6000 cutoff. Um, but, again, I think he's really prioritized stability here. He went with who he knew in, in By- you know, Byron Leftwich and said, hey, coach, I want to come play for you. And you know what? I commend a young man looking for stability. Absolutely, and I, I feel like that was probably the most ideal situation, honestly, when you kind of take a look and, and step back. I mean, he was a guy that was always rumored like when he was on his way out of Arizona, maybe New England would be a good fit sitting behind Brady there at the time. So love the fit. One of the other you know, surprise cuts, also guys, we've seen Todd Davis, linebacker from Denver Broncos over the last few days. Mohamed Sanu, after getting traded for a second-round pick last season, cut by the New England Patriots. Demarius Randall, safety for Las Vegas Ra- uh, Raiders cuts. A uh, lot of guys, very strange cuts, very weird roster movements. At, we're taking a look at a lot of other things here, you know, talking about the practice squad and so many things. But do you have a plan for your social marketing and branding for 2020 and 2021? Would you like help formulating a plan to gain the recognition 
you're looking for during this adversity we are facing in sports. Maverick Sports Consulting has the experience you need behind you to gain your position in the marketplace. Visit MaverickSportsConsulting.com today to sign up and get the Mavs staff on your side, including, including my good friend, of course, here, Mr. David Turner. Moving on, David, a lot of topics we got to already. I know we still have a mailbag to get to in a little bit, so we're going to get into some games this week, man. Finally, it is upon us. The NFL is back. Some games we want to, want to touch on a little bit and maybe do some pickums for, starting with this Thursday night Houston at the Super Bowl, the defending Super Bowl champion, Kansas City Chiefs. Kansas City, nine-point favorites, over high over-under on that game, the highest of the week, 54-and-a-half. David, I got to think this is a shootout, man. I might be taking the over if I had to pick this game. What are your general thoughts on this Kansas City-Houston matchup we're starting the season off with? You know, if you're listening to this podcast Friday or Saturday, you'll be able to tell us we're wrong. <laughs> but, you know, um, for me – I, I like this game a lot. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I really think I, – I don't know what we're getting from Houston's offense, to be frank with you. I don't know what Houston's offense is going to be without Hopkins. Uh, again, we could have talked about that tonight. I mean, he signed a brand-new record-breaking deal, and he negotiated himself. I mean, what the heck? This I mean, there's so much going on in sports. That could have been another conversation. But We're, we're talking about it right now, David. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, I was just like – it's amazing to see uh, all this stuff coming out on – in the NFL, all this news happening, you know, day in and day out. So, but I don't know what we're getting from Houston's offense. I, I really don't know. And their defense, I think, you know, is suspect as well. They've had some injuries over the last few years. They've moved on from some players. So I, I have a big question mark with Houston until I see three, four, five games played. I won't know what to expect. I see here Kansas City taking this one, and I and I don't believe it. I mean, it could be 10 to 14 points. I don't think it's going to be close, and that over-under is going to be mainly Kansas City just you know, shredding through whatever Houston's bringing. Could be wrong. That's why they play the game. And the last time we saw Houston and Kansas City matched up, Houston actually had a big lead in the playoffs, and then I think it was a – they went for it on fourth down. They made it in a fake field goal. It was some questionable coaching decision, and then the avalanche began with the Kansas City Chiefs obviously winning the Super Bowl there. Um my general thoughts, man, is like, you know, we talked about this a little bit earlier today, actually, and I found out that Rick Saratella hates Deshaun Watson, not to put it out there too much on that, but Deshaun Watson, I am a big fan of, but is there any more boomer bust offense in the NFL than the Houston Texans right now? They have David Johnson coming over at running back. They have um, Brandon Cooks coming over from the Rams at wide receiver, and they got Will Fuller at wide receiver. All players have had massive injuries in the past. They have some bad injury history. So it could either turn out very explosive because there's a lot of speed on that side of the football, or it's going to be an absolute disaster. And Deshaun Watson is going to be running for his life a little bit, uh, working with some second-string wide receivers and running backs. But I am going to pick, because I have to, I'm going to pick against the spread too, because why not? Kansas City covers that nine-point spread, and I'm going to say they also go over. I think Houston scores a little bit, maybe like 25 points, but I think it's eventually going to be an offensive avalanche from the Kansas City Chiefs. And I hope so, David, because my one fantasy league, I got Patrick Mahomes and Tyreek Hill. So I'm, I'm hoping for a little bit of fireworks to start the season out right now. Yeah, you give Houston more credit than me. I don't know if they'll score 25. I think they'll be right around 17. 
in their first game. And again, I think offenses are going to be playing from behind because there's no preseason football. Offensive lines don't have their grouping together. They don't have their calls. Defenses are going to lead the first four to six weeks of this season. Teams with veteran defenses, strong defensive pushes are going to me, in my mind, they're going to open up the season with better records. By the, by the turning point of week six to 10, we'll start seeing the back end where offenses really connect that again are might be young, might have some new pieces to it, but it's going to take four to six weeks for those new pieces to get comfortable. A team like Kansas City that seems to be bringing most, you know, 90% of their offense back and they click so well. That's why I think they're, they're not going to have a problem with offense explosion from week one on through the whole season. Well, I just need Houston to keep it close for a little bit so they don't take Pat Mahomes out of the game and he throws for 500 yards. That's all I'm, that's all I'm looking for right You're now. You're such a self-serving sucker. You know, in my it's, past, it it's all about my fantasy league. Uh-huh. I, I take fantasy very, very seriously. Six of You take six everything of nine, serious. That's why I love you. Six out of nine championships, David. I, I'm a pretty serious player here. So moving through these primetime games. I want to actually remind everybody that is watching with us live. We will also be taking live questions at the end. So if you want to put a a question in the chat, please feel free at any time. Moving on to the Sunday night game, Dallas is three point favorites at the Los Angeles Rams over under 51 and a half. David, I have to admit here, you, you just made fun of me a little bit. I am a Los Angeles Rams fan and supporter have been since I was nine years old. So I may be a little biased here, so again, I will defer to you to begin here on your pick. Well, again, I think there's a little drama happening in Dallas's locker room. You saw Deshaun Watson get paid. You saw Patrick Mahomes get paid. You saw that uh, you know Dallas uh, Jerry Jones held his ground against uh, pain and really investing uh, what everything that uh, Dak wanted. You know, and from what I understand, the sticking point was Dak wanted four years and. Dallas wanted five, and so they franchised them. But again, it looks almost like Rick said earlier on our conversation, it almost looks like they over-negotiated themselves in Dallas because now they got to go up against $40 million style court, uh, asking tags or paying pay, pay tags that the other two got, and Dak wanted 35 which kind of looks cheap now after those two deals got done. So what's that locker room look like? And, you know, the other veterans and people in that room are like, man, that didn't get paid and these other two did. So, you know, I don't know what's going to be happening there in Dallas. Um, and, and they had offensive line get hurt in training camp. So, again, we'll see how that gets replaced. I like the Rams. I like what they do. I think they have high energy. I think their defense is going to be very sound I mean, really sound with what they got over there on defense. So I, I think, you know, that's a team that has good defense, good chemistry, and that defense could lead, lead them to winning this game. I think the 51 and a half is a little high. I think, you know, they're probably doubt. I think the Rams win by a touchdown in my, in my mind here. Wow. David Turner is my biggest fan. I'm his biggest fan tonight with that pick. I love it so much. I will say, I think the Rams are getting really like kind of swept under the rug right now. Do I think that they're going to win the Super Bowl? No, I do not. But they are just – some people are saying that they might win like three or four games, and I just don't understand it. Last year, there was no team in the NFL that was struck by the injury bug more than the Los Angeles Rams, and they were still a missed field goal away from a 10-6 and record and, be, and beating out the Seattle Seahawks 
for a playoff spot there for the wild card. So I feel like the Rams are a little disrespected. I don't see how they are that less of what they were last year. I think that the roster is pretty similar. Mine is Corey Littleton that went over to the LA um, Las Vegas Raiders. I keep saying LA Raiders because that's more appropriate than calling the Las Vegas Raiders, but that's a different conversation for another time. Los Angeles Rams, it's a homer in me. I'm going to do it. I don't care. They win it outright. Like you said, Dallas's locker room, you know, everyone's going to say the right things and say that it's not a distraction, right, with the Dak Prescott situation and things like that. But it is. We know that that stuff does happen. We know that it does eat up locker rooms. So I'm going to take the Los Angeles Rams. Upset in Dallas. I'm with you, though, under on that over-under. I think 51 and a half is a little high. I would agree with that one. Monday night. 7:15. We have two Monday night games the first week. First game, 7:15 Deuce game on Deuce. Monday night. The Deuce and the first of the Deuce, Pittsburgh Steelers, six point favorites at the New York Giants. Over under 48. Ah, man, I would say I am definitely taking the under on this one. The Steelers have a very good defense. The Giants do not, but I don't think the Steelers, I wouldn't necessarily call them an explosive offensive unit. So I definitely take the under. This one's tough, David, because like, yes, I don't think the Giants are great. I think the Steelers are okay, but like six points is a lot for an NFL game. Like that's a lot of points. I'm, I think I might take the Giants here to cover, but the Steelers to win. You know, a lot of hype, a lot of excitement for Joe Judge coming out, firing on all cylinders. I looked at that roster today too. They went a little bit more veteran. It looked it re- really looked similar to what New England cut. I mean, they were really close to the same. They had a little bit more rookies. I think they had like four more rookies on the active and maybe two more rookies on the practice squad. So six all together across the board. Um, you know, I love the Giants. You know, I'm a homer when it comes to them. I just don't know if this offense is ready to hit the field and churn and burn and, you know, run the field. Again, uh, Pittsburgh's got a very good defense. Very, very veteran defense. So I think Pittsburgh wins this one. I think the Giants improve as the season goes on, becomes a team that we are going to be talking about in late October to really, you know, start pushing for for some recognition later as one of the teams that turns it around this year. Um, but right now, this first opening week, I think Pittsburgh's going to be, be the one and six points is probably close to what it is. Um, but, you know, it hurts me to say it because I'm a I'm big blue, baby. And that, you brought up an interesting point there. Uh, Joe Judge is – it's been an interesting offseason for him in his first with the Giants. You know, he's been kind of, um, you know, talked about a little bit with some of his antics being very old-fashioned with making coaches run laps and very high-intensity, full pads – Being a guy like you, David, who's been around a bunch of different coaches and seeing how organizations have been run, what are your general thoughts on how Judge has kind of hit the ground rolling with the Giants and kind of taken that that, um, maybe, I don't want to say old-fashioned mentality to his players and his roster and his coaches too? You know what I've been appreciating about Joe is that he is who he is. There's no politics. There's no BS. There's no, you know, pulling punches. He is who he is. And as a guy who's that, I feel I'm the same way as Brad called me last week. I, you know, I respect that. I respect, I think you saw a few clips 
Like when he went for the mud football the other day where he had fun with the players and the players all jumped on him. So it's not like you saw them go, oh, great, coach. Yeah, all right, coach. You know, they jumped in. There was energy. There was excitement. So I think there's some team building stuff there that, you know, people aren't seeing because practices aren't open to media. People can't get in there. The bloggers can't get in there and tweet and talk about it all much. But I think Joe is really, like I said, he's building a good nucleus of players it seems so far the right way. We're not hearing a lot of disgruntled people coming out of there right now. So, again, it's young season. Let's see how it progresses. Let's see if he wears people out or if he's more like a John Harbaugh. Like John Harbaugh, when he started at the Ravens, he came in and he was like, hey, we got to change this culture around a little bit. We got to make it happen. And he, you know, he was, I want to say he was tough, but he was, he had some discipline to him. And he sticks to his core values down there, as we saw with the release of the the safety, Earl Thomas. He stuck to the core values of the organization. He's sticking to his pillars. And I think Judge is going to be a very similar coach. And therefore, I'm excited to see what he brings to the organization a few weeks into this season. Like I said, it won't be instantaneous in my mind. won't be week one. But dang, I really think we're going to see some building blocks you know, by week three, four, six, and then at the end of the year, you're going to see some good football out of these Giants. And I think Giants fan would all agree that the comparison, hopefully, to John Harbaugh is, the, is you know, the best that they could possibly hope for. Obviously, John was also a special teams coach when he was hired by the Baltimore Ravens as well. So there are some parallels. Hopefully, hoping for the best. You know, it's it's better when the big market teams are competitive. You know, whether you like to hate them or not, when the New York Giants play good football, it's better for the National Football League. Moving to the second game, the Monday night game, 10-10 Eastern time. Tennessee Titans at Denver Broncos. Well, I don't Whoa. know what I was trying to say. <laughs> Denver Broncos. I don't know why they're over the airwaves. <laughs> Got him. And if we're live, we're live, right? So Denver Broncos at the Denver Broncos, 41 over-under, a low under-under here, a pick'em game. No point spread on this game, so it is an outright pick'em. David, I have to think after the Tennessee Titans making that AFC Championship game push this last year, they have to be the fit. I mean, they're not the favorites, but I have in a pick'em situation, the smart money has to be on the Titans. Am I wrong? I'm shocked that it's a pick em. Like, people in Vegas obviously know more than I do. I mean, in this situation, I thought Tennessee would be a plus three and a half, you know, you know, margin here. And, and, you know, going to Denver, it's hard to play in Denver. The mile high, I get it. It's hard, but I still think I thought Tennessee would have been favored here by, like I said, three and a half. The over under, I think, again, for this offensive output to me is high um, because I don't know what Denver has on offense. I'll be honest. And now with Vaughn Miller getting hurt, tomorrow's line might go up to Tennessee being the favorite. Without Vaughn Miller on the field, that line probably is getting changed as we speak. So, um, you know, get it while you can. Because <laughs> that, that, that's a great point. You you got to put the money in tonight. Absolutely, that's a great point with Vaughn going down. Man, so like. I was a Drew Locke fan, the quarterback for Denver coming out of Missouri. I feel like I was higher on him than some. I had a second-round grade on him. I like the wide receivers, man. Cortland Sutton's good. I like Jerry Judy a ton, the rookie coming out. They got K.J. Hamler from Penn State. I'm going to take the over in this game, and I'm actually going to take Denver in the upset. 
I set you up on that one, David. I'm taking Denver in the upset in mile high, beating the Tennessee Titans on the last primetime game of the weekend. Couple other games we wanted to briefly touch on here because they're very interesting to say the least. Seattle at Atlanta. Seattle, only two-point favorites here. Over-under is 49. So another somewhat low one. Um, but Seattle, you know, going – obviously, you're, you're traveling cross-country. There's going to be some things with that, right? You know, jet lag and, and just the general travel and, and all those types of things. But two points sounds a little low to me against what was a very struggling and inconsistent Atlanta team last year. Struggling? That was a limp duck trying to walk down the street, bro. I mean, I think they were like three and seven in the first ten games or something. They weren't. They they barely saved their jobs at the end of the year by winning. I think four of the last six games or something. So you know, again, I was surprised this is so low. I think you got a veteran team. What Seattle did with their safeties in the in the off season and rebuilding a little bit of that defense. I really think Seattle's got a good young team. That's going into Atlanta with leadership in Russell Wilson, with leadership across the board on their coaching staff. I think this is a team that's going to roll into Atlanta and and they're gonna they're gonna put it down on them because they're gonna make a statement that that NFC West is their division again. Um, they, this is a statement game for them. I really think they need to go in and start fast this season, and this is the perfect opponent to start fast on and you know go roll in and beat Atlanta by at least seven. Um, you know, I, I just, I'm shocked that it's two and a half. I know it's a travel. I know it's an East coast game, but Atlanta was just so bad last year. And with no preseason games this year, uh, again, Dan Quinn and that roster, I don't know if they're ready for what Seattle's bringing to the table for them. And I'll go back really quick. Denver's another team with that young offense and those young players where I think by week four, five, six, seven, we're talking about really explosive players. They're clicking. They're gelling. These young rookies figure out game speed. And Drew Locke, to me, I went to Denver last year and watched them in practice live. I thought he he did a lot of good things. I think a lot of their young talent had a year from last year had a year to mature. So this is a team that I, I do see on the come. I just don't think week one where Tennessee is coming off of last year. I think Tennessee and then they added Clowney and stuff to the, you know, nitrous to that defense this year. And he's going to obviously come out wanting to make a statement. So that's why I went with Tennessee. But here I think Seattle is underestimated. I think Seattle needs to make a statement week one about that NFC West being their division. And that, that's, a, that's a pretty solid point there by Denver. Having young pieces might take a little bit for them to gel. I would agree with you on this game. I am on the Seattle train here. I'd probably take the under if I had to here. I don't see this being much of a, a shootout, high-scoring affair. I think Seattle wins pretty convincingly. And I think, you know, I need to go back and look at what the, the split was from last year. Obviously, when you think of Seattle, you always think of the 12th man, you know, that home field advantage over, out there in Seattle. But I just think they had a better road record than home record last year for the first time in a few years. So, you know, with that veteran-laden team with Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson, travel doesn't seem to to worry them too much or, or compromise their performance. So I would get also take Seattle there. Moving to Indianapolis at uh, against Jacksonville. It's a home game for Indianapolis, if I have this correct. Jacksonville is eight-point underdogs here, over under 45. I'm saying I'm going under 45. 
and I am going all Indianapolis here. Jacksonville is a train wreck. That is a dumpster fire if I've ever seen one. Indianapolis has a really nice roster. They have Phillip Rivers coming in. I'm buying stock in Indianapolis early, and I am taking any chance I can right now to bet against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Well, yeah, I mean, again, eight points in the NFL is a big spread as we know it. And and But again, Jacksonville, as we went through the numbers earlier, 18 rookies on the 53-man roster, 12 guys in there with two years of experience, another five guys with three years of experience. So they're walking in to a team last year that was super competitive. If they had Phillip Rivers last year, Indianapolis makes the playoffs and is making a statement in the playoffs. You know, we could have been talking like them and like we are Tennessee coming off a really big win and and obviously getting to some championship games. I mean, 35 players under 26 years old. It's like, come on, man. What are we trying to do here? So, yeah, Indianapolis all the way. You know I love what Ed Dodds and Chris Ballard are doing out there and adding Phillip Rivers to that that line that they have. That's a veteran. That's a line that had a year of growth last year. It was really dominant. They got some great running backs, in my opinion. They got a sound defense where they didn't have a lot of turnover at all. So, again, Indy only has nine rookies on the 50 – or ten rookies on the 53. So they're walking in with – 30 and 43 guys that pretty much were have been in their culture for two years now and they know how to win and they're they're turning it and then adding veteran leadership with rivers and again i think it's i think 45 points is a little high because i think jacksonville might get goose egged yeah and i love i love again chris ballard gm obviously over there in indianapolis i'm a big fan of frank reich I've always been a Philip Rivers guy. You know, he's obviously a little risk adverse, um, but, you know, you take the good with the bad there. And I, I think that he's the the steady force that Indianapolis lacked last year with Jacoby Brissett. So I, I think that Indianapolis is, is poised to make some noise. DeForest Buckner coming in on that defensive front, one of the best defensive linemen in the NFL. I, I think that there's a recipe for a lot of success there for Indianapolis this year. Last game we want to cover, Los Angeles Chargers hosting the Cincinnati Bengals, the Chargers are three-point favorites. They're over under 43. So I'm looking at this game, David. I don't know how to, I don't know what to think of this game. We're gonna have Tyrod Taylor playing quarterback. We're gonna have Joe Burrow in his first game. I'm gonna do a little shocking pick here, and I'm gonna say that we go over in this game. I don't know why. I just feel it for some reason. We're going over here. And I might take Cincinnati. Uh, if you look at Cincinnati's defense on paper, it's not bad, man. There's some there's some sound building blocks there. Sam Hubbard, um, Dunlap at, de- at defensive end, secondary with Jesse Bates. Linebackers are improving, getting younger. I, I like a lot. Geno Atkins, obviously, in the middle. Cincinnati's defense, I think, is going to be pretty good. I think it's a little underrated right now. Joe Burrow, there's A.J. Green, Tyler Boyd. There's some weapons. Joe Mixon. I don't like the offensive line situation in Cincinnati too much. We'll see what Jonah Williams does at left tackle. But I'm going to take Cincinnati in this game. I've never been a Tyrod Taylor fan. I think that Joe Burrow might have a little bit of Burrow magic in his NFL debut here. Hold on. i got to channel my inner Lee Corso. Not so fast. And I have my number two pencil right here for you. So it's, in, in my opinion, I think the game actually is in Cincinnati. And the weather is 81 degrees and forecasted with rain. So that means you're going to get a, a big run game here. 
I am a big fan of Tyrod Taylor. I think he's gotten hosed through his career. I think he's a guy that when he was at the Buffalo Bills, he brought he broke the streak of them going to the playoffs, which was like 12 years, longest streak that they had ever taken, and then they go and draft a young kid. I think Tyrod's got something to say. I think he's going to say it on the field, and I think he's going to, he's going to open it up against Cincinnati, and you're going to see uh, Tyrod Taylor really have a, an excellent performance. Also, Anthony Lynn. Let's talk about this. Anthony Lynn, the way he's handled all the adversity this year, I think as a as a man, as a coach, he's one that's preparing his team for success all the way through the organization. So for me, I think the Chargers are poised to win. I like what the Chargers have on defense. They you know they just they got Ingram back on the field. They got Bosa coming off the edge. That pass rush, like I said, early in the season offensive line that are young and aren't gelled are going to struggle i think the chargers defense is going to step on the field here and then lay it down and i think burrow is going to have a hard time all day all day he's going to have a hard time making reads because he's going to have people in his face breaking news tyrod taylor is opening it up for his first time in his career very you heard it here first from mr david turner uh, we'll have to agree to disagree on that one. Again, we'll see Sunday night. We will see Monday morning when we have a conversation. I'll give you my I'll give you my best Al Davis on this one. Just keep just keep trying, young man. You'll get it one day. You know, one day you'll figure it out. You just keep plugging away because you just haven't seen enough to understand the kind of special player that Tyrod Taylor is. Oh man, how how much do you practice that? Be honest with me. I think anybody who worked with Mr. Davis has an impression of him because we've all heard it so many times in our ears and we get told so many different ways how he's right and we're wrong. He was a he had a PhD in how to do it and make it make you question yourself so often. <laughs> well, the next time we have somebody like Brad Kaplan on again or somebody else that worked with Al Davis, we need to compare the best Al Davis impressions. That needs to be a podcast. That's all we're going to do for 90 minutes. Is Al Davis impressions, please. That would be the greatest thing in my life. Uh, moving on here to the last section, mailbag questions. We want to thank everybody again so much for putting a question into the mailbag this week. Before you do again, make sure to check out Friday Night Scout School every Friday, 9 Eastern time at NFLDraftBible.com. By the season pass today, we are taking you through cornerbacks this week showing you the eyes of an evaluator, whether you're a fan, a coach, a player, a scout, an agent, whatever it is, we are here to educate and help improve in your, in your, um, in your career path. I don't know why that didn't come out easier. Questions from the mailbag, from what's on NFL Draft. Question for both. When starting off in a new draft cycle, what's your method of creating a watch list and building your work plan of attack? How do you approach turning a formless pile of prospects into an organized collection of information? Loaded question here, David. Yeah, no, I appreciate the question because honestly, that's the secret sauce and everybody attacks it different. So it's just like, you know, you go to different restaurants and everybody's got their own secret sauce. Well, everybody's going to have a different method. You go to the independent teams and it's all on the area scouts to go back, watch their teams, evaluate all the seniors, uh, super juniors that are um, come might come out early and formulate that list and weed people out. If you're going, if you're going to be a Bledsoe national team, you you pay for them to basically weed out those players for you and break it down. 
you know, when you start researching players, every team has their own criteria. You know, it's like when I was getting ready to interview last year for the general manager's job up in Canada, I had a criteria sheet of what I wanted for if my scouts go out and they look at players, you know, they have to have X amount of starts. They have to have X amount of measurables. They have to have X amount of um, leadership, you know, captainships, stuff like that through their career. And again, every team has different criteria and and check marks to to check it off to make sure they're their type of guy. You know, when we had Brad Kaplan on, what was it a week ago? He talked about you know it was hard not to get on a table, or it's hard to get on a table for a guy if you didn't know who he was as a character and who he was in the locker room, who he was off the field. Those were the ones you could make the arguments for. So I mean, everybody wants the good locker room guy, not the locker room lawyer or the distraction or whatever. They want good, solid teammates that help the culture build and win support through the adversity, not cause the adversity to happen. So again, when he's talking, when, when the question is, you know, where do you start off? It depends on what team you are and what you believe in. If you want your own scouts to do the digging and the sorting and be the first strainer, you know, to sift through it all, it's going to be the scouts. If you're going to sign up for National and Bledsoe and let them do the sifting, it's going to be them. But ultimately, every area scout has to know every player in their area and make sure there's no no one missed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and from my perspective with NFL Draft Bible, I would put up our database against just about anybody. We have an, an absolute incredible collection of players for next year's drafts, drafts in the future, even even uh, past 2021. How it kind of works for us is, you know, we take every asset that we have in that department that could go from the spring grades from the NFL that could be from, you know, watch lists from, you know, conference previews that could be all conference teams, whatever it is, we are collecting as many names as possible. Obviously, uh, NFL Draft Bible, Rick Saratella specifically, works with um, the NFL PA Bowl as well. So there's some insight into that, that logic as well. So we take as much information as possible. And like you said, we have people that work behind the scenes to put that into a detailed and organized um, database that we work off of. Um, and then, you know, from there it is organization as far as, you know, getting the scouting report templates uh, right, for, right, for, uh, right for the writing and, uh, you know, get to work. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, I think it's using every asset as, as possible and having a cohesive plan on how you are going to organize everything. That's kind of how it works over at NFL Draft Bible. And luckily, what's on NFL Draft had a, a secondary question, David, which was specifically for you. And if I'm allowed to double dip on questions, I've got another one been hanging on, for all, for all, hanging on me all week. David, as a Blesto scout, did you feel left out having to spend the spring studying the upcoming upcoming class while other people in the organizations focused on the current class? Oh, absolutely not. You know, because I was already ahead of the game. I had watched these guys' junior tape. I had I got to know them as juniors. I went in and talked to them, interviewed them and stuff early in the process. Then I went back and rewatched them their senior year, updated my reports their senior year. So all these players that I recommended as a Bledsoe scout, I had written two reports on them. And then I did my cross-checks. So any of the players that I cross-checked from across the country, I also had you know my reports on. So I was sitting there 
paying attention, listening to whatever they needed me to do and weigh in where they needed me at some points. Because sometimes the area scout was like, hey, there was this injury, blah, blah, blah. And I don't have it in my notes. David, do you have it? And I had it in my notes. And I could say, yeah, it was this, blah, blah, blah. So I'm contributing the whole way through. It wasn't like I was just sitting in the side with a dunce cap on. You know, as a Bledsoe guy or a national guy, you really get to know your players over a two-year span. So that's something that a lot of teams cherish and they really like having. That's why they have Bledsoe scouts in their room and national scouts in their room um, because it helps them know a player throughout a two-year span. And so when they really get serious about a guy, they got that um, in-house talent evaluator right there to speak on it with experience. And that's something I appreciated about the Panthers. When um, when they hired me, I was a little older scout, and usually that's a young man's game. And they hired me as an older scout to do it, and I loved it because I was like, you know what? I really got to get back to my roots was just finding players and not worrying about building teams or anything. That was Marty and Jeff and, you know, all those guys, Mike Zabo and, you know, Eric Stokes and all them. That's their job to to figure out how to build the team. I was just finding players again and got back to what, what really had me addicted my, you know, why I chose to do this in, for a living. It's just evaluate and formulate opinions on guys, which I love doing. So, you know, as a Bledsoe scout, you're, you're, if you're doing it right, you're, you're a strong cog in, in the machine. And our last question of the mailbag tonight, we, I said it's an ask me anything, so it doesn't just have to be about sports, right? So best show of the group, Jay Blaze NYC wants to know, the boys, Hunters, and Money Heist. Money Heist is on Netflix. It looks like Hunters and the boys are both on Amazon. I will say, and, and me and David had this conversation before we started here, I haven't seen any of these shows, so um, I am not the person that you want to hear from as far as shows. Basically, if I'm not working, I am watching film or I'm watching live sports. That's what I'm doing. Me and my wife are both uh, big movie buffs, so we used to go out to the movies all the time. Obviously, with the pandemic, that is not possible right now. So if I'm not watching sports and I'm not writing a report and I'm not or I'm not doing work, I'm probably letting the wife watch what she wants to watch, whether that's 90 Day Fiance or um, it's like there's one show it's called like Love at First Sight or something like that. It's like basically like arranged marriages where like these people are thrown into it. And Guys, listen it. to the plan right here. This is how he stays married. He lets her have the TV controller. He doesn't dominate. He doesn't dominate. He lets her have it. I'm not going to act like the perfect man, you know, because I might have my laptop open and watching some film while she's watching her shows. But the show is still on. David, I don't know if you've seen it. Well, actually, I know you haven't seen any of these shows. Do you have a recommendation if you want to give one maybe to Jay? Yeah, Jay, I haven't seen any of these shows. I'm sorry. I don't like Ryan. I don't watch a lot of uh, a lot of uh, stuff on Amazon and Netflix. It's usually if I'm on there, I'm watching a movie or something and. I watch limited series, um, so I, I apologize. You know, the one I've heard that I wanted to watch the most out of this is Hunters. So that's something I want. I want to watch that one for sure. So that's just one I haven't gotten to yet. Uh, as far as recommendations, man, there's a lot of good movies and stuff out there these days. And I think, you know, I'm really, I'll be honest with you, one I'm ready to, to watch with my daughter is the new Mulan on disney plus like I heard i'm bad like things ready about it david i heard bad things i want to see I, it i, I was I'm, pumped I'm, up i'm excited it, to see it you know i'm really i'm really excited to see what it's about the live action stuff i'll be honest with you i didn't know i would like the lion king as well as i did i will not watch Aladdin live because you know robin williams isn't in it and i just i can't do it i can't do it without robin um 
and, and that's no slide on anybody. It's just Robin's my guy, and I can't go watch that movie without him being being in it. So, um, you know, and again, some of the other live action stuff was really cute. Um, so I, I want to see the Mulan and see how they do it, and go from there. And uh, you know, I, I, again, recommendation for me is like go straight Disney Pass Star Wars section and watch anything because. I'm a huge Star Wars guy, so watching those is just always so much fun for me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Good recommendation there. I'm a huge Star Wars guy as well. Live action, man. They do some nice stuff. I really like the Jungle Book. I don't know if you saw that when it came back out, David. That was a, it was an awesome one, though. Um, moving to the end here. Getting to the end. David Turner, we always end just kind of with a, you know, a shout-out or recommendation, whatever it might be, before I hit our last little promo here what, what, do you, what is something that you want to leave the audience to uh, with tonight? You know, I hope everybody's biggest takeaway is, you know, what we what we saw in our interview tonight, which was a young athlete who went through um, playing big time college ball, struggling with, you know, like he said, it's not about eating every day when the cafeteria is open, but eating on the weekends, not having money to know if he's going to be able to afford a meal on the weekends and make sure his rent's paid and stuff because they can't they don't have enough time to study play and have a job and there's so much restrictions on what kind of job you can have by nc2a rules that it was hard for him so that's something i think we really need to listen and you know take the first hand account that we got tonight from mr edwards and move forward with it in our thought process as we think about you know are these greedy athletes and they're not um, also, he talked about the you know maturation of his decision making process. Where as a young man, he would probably run back to the field to play for an opportunity, but now as an older guy, he's got to think about his family and his health. And obviously, you know, we see that that's um, that's a big concern for a lot of parents and a lot of people these days, um, especially with COVID and everything going on. So you know, I, I hope people take that. And I, last thing I'd like to say is you know our our hearts and prayers go out to uh jermaine stevens jr and his family you know passing away that's something that you know is heart-wrenching as a father to think about having a son pass away and at tw- only 20 years old you know i just want to say we, here at mav sports consulting and and mav sports take our, our hearts and go out to that family and you know our prayers and anything and if you're listening i hope you're thinking about why we're we say don't play sports right now it's not because we were being over dramatic or anything. We just don't feel, or I, I should say, I don't feel it's a safe environment for for our young men and women to be out playing sports right now because we can't bubble like the NBA did and do that kind of environment for them. Absolutely, and I would like to also echo those sentiments. Any Anybody that has been affected by these tragedies that we've gone through in 2020 – uh, you know, my prayers and my thoughts go right out to everybody. Um, Mr. Stevens' family, obviously included in that. So want to thank everybody for taking some time. Uh, little brief note, you know, with Armani Edwards coming on, I hate Michigan. I don't care about Michigan. Um, there's my there's my little two cents there on a, on a little bit of a lighter move. want to thank everybody for listening with us tonight. Everybody that put a question into the mailbag for this week. We'll be back again live next week, 8.30 Eastern time. 
obviously with the Wednesday release of the podcast as well. Uh, thank you all again for taking, taking some time with us tonight. Make sure you like, share, and follow us on Twitter. David Turner is at Mav underscore sports. Uh, also Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook. I'm at Rise and Draft. Uh, make sure to follow everything that we do, NFL Draft Bible as well. We appreciate you all so much. We thank you, and I hope everybody has a great night. the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time there's granger offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need plus you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you call clickgranger.com or just stop by granger for the ones who get it done